Steve Price. Steve Price. Hey, Steve. Hey. Shock Jock Steve Price. I don't like Shock Jock, by the way. I think um, Price is 100% right. Well, Steve joins us now. Craig Kelly was a hard man on the AFL field in a tough career that included a premiership in 1990. And in this episode of On The Record, he reveals why AFL legend Lee Matthews was so scared of him at quarter time of that game. Craig, of course, went on to establish Australia's most successful sports management company. Kerry Packer famously remarked, you only get one Alan Bond in your life after selling his beloved Nine Network to Alan Bond for a billion dollars during the heady days of the 1980s. History shows, of course, that the flamboyant Bond crashed and burned, ended up in jail, and Kerry bought the TV network back for a fraction of what Bondy paid him. My guess for on the record, this edition's no Kerry Packer, but he did have his own Bond-like experience with his massively successful sports management company when he sold it to British investors and then took control back when they struggled to make ESP work. Craig Kelly played AFL at the highest level, won a grand final in 1990 with Collingwood, breaking a premiership drought that had haunted the Magpies and he's carved out an even more impressive business career. Craig Kelly, welcome to On The Record. It's uh, lovely to speak to you, Pricey. It's been way too long and uh, very nice words. I appreciate those. Um, Way too generous. Um, had a little bit of luck in all that, but I uh, appreciate it, mate. Good to speak to you. Good man. Earlier in the the series, I interviewed Helen McCabe. She was she's a journalist. She was the editor in chief yep. at one stage of the Australian Women's Weekly. Now, like you and me, Helen is from Adelaide. She's from a farming family. Went to a private school as a boarder. What is it you reckon, Craig, about? us South Australians, that we are pretty successful when we get out of South Australia and get over the border? It, no, it's a really – the McCabe's are very um, – that, that, you know, Lukey McCabe, um, I, I, I think it's the same family probably. Played for Hawthorne, um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, they actually bought our original farm. Uh, they backed onto our property about an hour north of Adelaide, um, which was called Marindi. Uh, it's a beautiful – was a beautiful part of our lives. Um it's weird. I say the same thing to McLaughlin boys, and uh, you look at uh, the, you know. Then there was um, a number of uh, guys have come over from from Adelaide and South Australia. I, I, I do think the Adelaide school system is with a, with a smaller population is really very really, really good. You got Prince Albert College, you got St Peter's, you've got Ross Trevor, you've got Sacred Heart, and and the whole college system, as you know, there the universities of the, the Adelaide University is one of the world's best. Um, and as it, people, my wife keeps saying, when when we got engaged, she said, um, really happy to marry you, but just make it clear we'll never <laughs> live in Adelaide. Um, so I was never allowed to go back. And I think McLaughlin's and Gill's in the same spot with Laura. They're not allowed to go back. So, um, oh, look, oh, it's just a great uh, big country town that's got some uh, – and, and it pumps out some good people. And I think when you get to Melbourne, though, you sort of uh, – you do can and have we have been able to make a bit of a difference. You've done it right, Ross. Yeah, I went to Seacombe High School and failed third year. So uh, <laughs> at least you, there's exceptions I, I, to the I rules. Year twelve, mate. What? <laughs> well, I got through year. Uh, I finished before year twelve. I went and got a job. You went to Prince Alfred. Were you a boarder? Yeah, boarding. So we, we lived in our north a place called Riverton, Giles Corner, Riverton, up towards the Clare Valley. Uh, six generations of two and a half, three and a half thousand acres. 
And uh, the family, I was the sixth generation to go to boarding school at Prince Albert College. I was the only head boy to fail year 12, um, which the headmaster, Jeffrey Bean, was brought me into his office and said, I'm deeply embarrassed that I made you head boy and that you were uh, you failed. He said, you did a quite a good job being head boy, but clearly your, your, your schooling wasn't that good. Well, it wasn't that important to me, Bryce, because I was playing footy and I got to, to play for Nord while I was finishing year 12. And I might have got dragged aside after some of those games leading into year 12 exams and might have had way too many beers quietly up at the <laughs> Red Legs Club and been allowed then to sneak back into the boarding house slightly under the weather. Um, so I did fail year 12, quite embarrassed. About that. We're going anyway. to talk about Nord and, and your early footy career. Were you always good at sport as a kid? I mean, coming from country South Australia, as it is with country Victoria that you know so well now, the kids in the bush just love playing cricket and, and love playing footy. Were you always yeah. good at both? No, I, I was pretty clunky. I was... Um, I, it wasn't until I got to college, down to the boarding house that I sort of bulked up a bit. And Dad played for Port, pretty average games he played, but he was with Don Hannaford and Jeff Motley um, in Hannaford, so a pretty good crew. Now, just stop um, you there. Jeff Motley were, were, yep. worked for my dad selling cars in North Adelaide at a place called, can you imagine the car yard was called Dependable Motors? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mate, one of the what well, a great Mott ended up managing me doing my first contract, uh, and then obviously looked after Parks and Craig Bradley, and did Steve Kernahan's contracts when they remember they were all um, when yep. his son um, came over to Pete came over to Carlton. They had the old Form Threes, and I always remember Pete uh, and 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 Jeff were trying to get me to go to, to um, Sturt, and Pete was still there at that stage. And Pete had got given this brand new 280 ZX Nissan sports car from Carlton. And I think he got one from Sydney. I think he had two at one stage, one from Sydney and one from Carlton. And I've gone, how cool is that? That is really cool. And so <laughs> Jeff looked after me. And anyway, so no, I was pretty clunky at, at, at sport. But um, once I got to school and um, I, I started, uh, you know, Prince Alfred at that stage had some really good players and we're quite a good good side. So I sort of played ruck forward and um, started to get a bit of a mojo going. Went back home, played only one game for the mighty Ribbon Saddleworth Hawks and uh, and did all right there. But um, no, mate, it was it was sort of a bit late for me. I was a late developer, I was 23. I sort of started working it all out and, and body started to sort of work in one direction and lose a bit of weight. It was, it was about about the time it kicked in. We're talking to Craig Kelly. Now, something I never knew, and I've, unlike me, I've done some research before we chatted. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure why I would know this, but you come from a political family and your grandfather, like you, was a bit of a rebel. Paul Keating came up to me. I was running uh, in 1990. That, uh, I started the, doing the marketing for Collingwood and ran a thing called the, uh, the post-budget luncheon. Um, and you might have even given us a hand there with some stuff when you were at 3W, but we had it on a massive marquee we put on the oval around the grand final year to host 1,500 people. Anyway, Paul came up to me and said, uh, and, and I introduced myself, he said, oh, you're Bert Kelly's grandson. I said, I was wow. a bit taken back. And he said, if only we'd listened to you, your granddad all those years ago, we'd be in a lot better position than we are now. Because he was all for free trade, free tariffs, uh, getting rid of tariffs and basically um, being an open market and, and the market decides the value and stuff. So 
it's sort of always been, it's a very much a farming thing, I think, pricey, but it's always been sort of core to my values of, you know, how we should do business and how we should go about things. So uh, not getting political, but in, as we're doing this interview and what's going on in Victoria, it's sort of very, very agitated. But he wouldn't have been uh, very popular, would he? I mean, he was a, a, no. He was in the, the Liberal ministry and they were all about uh, the farmers, particularly the National Party, were all about tariff protection. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and and that's why you know Hawke and Keating, as much as um, you know, obviously the opposition to the, to the my grandfather was, they're they're the two guys that basically lined up with him and, and forced those changes, which um, had a dramatic effect on on sort of shifting some of the uh, opportunities and, and the direction of the country. So you, you, you're spot on, and there's still a there's a the Burt Kelly Memorial Lecture happens every year, and it's all about getting rid of um, you know getting rid of the hot red tape and actually letting the market do what they should do. So you're right, it, it, was, it was a big battle for him. I remember going to Canberra in 1975, we drove around Australia as a family in a combi van and Dad had planned for us to sit in Canberra and listen to my grandfather and it happened to be a Melbourne Cup day when he was supposed to be speaking in front of the, the, the in government and as kids were sitting up there, but every time we went to speak, they basically rang the bell because everyone wanted to go and listen to the um, to the race. So we didn't get to hear him say anything. It's just unfortunate it didn't get to talk. But Were he was too... a great man. He was a hard, he was a very hard man, but uh, he was a great man. Were you too young to ever sit down and have a discussion with him about where this uh, contrary idea of free trade was coming from, yeah. from someone who was a farmer? Well, I didn't really understand that. Sort of, it's only been afterwards talking to dad and and reading it there's a lot of books the economics made easy there's a there's a whole thing he used to write for the uh for the australian had a column um, That's right. and uh and uh, there's all those books and all those um stories have been actually collated now so um both all of my boys and and myself have been able to probably read more about him since he's passed away but uh uh, and his his wife Lorna was a very strong woman, and she lived a lot longer than he did. But um, pretty amazing people. And the family story of how they moved up and opened up the country where they went to up north of Adelaide when they were free settlers to Adelaide um, from from the Isle of Man. It was it's fascinating. So we're lucky. There's a lot of books that have been written about him and the family. So it's quite interesting going back. I've, I've probably got to go and read them again, Price. Yeah, he's a, he was a oh, – we should remind people here, I mean, Burke Kelly was a cabinet minister in the, the Holt and Gorton governments, and so yes. he would have been sitting around the cabinet table when, of course, famously, Harold Holt disappeared from Cheviot Beach, yes. I think, in 1966. I actually just walked past the Harold Holt Memorial the other day at the back beach at, uh, at Portsea. Um, they yes. were really tense times because no one knew yeah, what and, actually and, happened. Yeah, and, and, and I never – because he was never when, whenever we sat in the in the living room with him as kids, like we were just just too young. I, I really wish now he'd lived a bit longer because I, I suppose I would have started to learn about and ask those questions, which I never did because it would have been fascinating some of the stories. Well, he was minister for the navy, so he would have been in on all national security yes. discussions yes. during that period of time when we were still <laughs> worried. Going on. Well, we had Vietnam. The Vietnam War was on. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's true. Unbelievable, really. Anyway. So, how did you end up getting to uh, the Norwood Football Club, and why? Why the Red Legs? Well, Dad played for Port, and Port had the option to the sort of semi father son thing um, to have the conversation. But that Port at that stage, that was eighty two, 
leading into sort of 82, 81, 82. I was finishing uh, year 12. There's a bit of interest around. Um, we, I was zoned to central districts. Um, Bunga Hearn's uh, dad was a famous guy from our area, so he was playing central districts. Central districts, by the way, out. I was covering SANFL then, 77 to 80. Oh, yeah. The caravan up there had the best steak sandwiches in the world. Yeah, it still in the does. world. Really? <laughs> yeah, it still does. We went out there to watch steak in his film. Well, it did three oh, years ago when he was God. playing SANFL. It it's, it's not a good joint, but anyway. Um, we, so we went, uh, Centrals were talking, and I'd played a couple of games uh, just as sort of little league or whatever it was um, for them. And then um, North Adelaide spoke to me. Um, Sturt spoke to me. Port came in very late. But I, I remember Dad came with me and he said, whenever you're looking at a football club, and it still sticks in my mind today when we're talking to clubs and having conversations about players and coaches, whenever you're looking at a football club, it's not just about the coach, it's not just about the players. You've got to look at the administration and the president and the chairman. So Smart. The, great Wally, the great Wally Miller was, was running, the, um, running the club. Um, um, there was Neil Baum, Neville Rollins, John Wynn, um, silly um, Michael Pratt was popping around in those days as well. The lunatic is still in Adelaide and a wonderful man. Um, so there's a lot of good people. And I remember sitting down in Wally's office with Dad and Barmy was there and they said, um, he just basically said all the right things. And, I, and they said to me, if you want to play now, we'll play you now. And I said, what do you mean? I said, I'm still at school. Of, well, your school footy's just about to finish and it looks like our twos are going to go into the finals. Um and if you sign now, it's about 35 bucks a game or something, um, well, you can basically start playing. And I said, well, am I allowed to do that? They said, well, as long as you get permission from school. How old were you? And I said, uh, I was 16. I just, oh. just turned 16 in June. So I basically said to Dad, I said, um, I reckon this is the right place. And he said, yeah, I do too. Um, so I signed. And um, Mots was sort of giving some advice. And he said, look, I, I think you're right. Sturt was okay then. But he said, that's a great opportunity, go for it. So, mate, I ended up playing my last – I played five games. I basically turned up to training as this kid from school, Princes, and I'm playing against there – was, um, there was Winnie, there was um, all these legends, uh, Turnbull, um, there was um, McInerney, there was all these great players um, that were older players who had been at North for years. And I turned up and they played me at centre-half or on the forward line in the reserves, um, and my first game was in front of 40,000 people at Footy Park because it was a, I've forgotten who was playing the game after, but we, we, that was always the leading game to the senior game. And yeah. we went right through to the grand final. Were you physically strong enough? Yeah, I was actually okay. I actually, not, no, I'm quietly confident, but not that confident, but I was, I, I, I went all right. And, uh, Barmy is really happy with me because the next year I basically started playing. Was he coach? Footy. Neil. Yeah, and I we that was the year we went in '84 to from basically bottom fifth to to win the grand final with Keith Thomas uh, playing against Port, playing amazing game. And I didn't play that. I broke my wrist in the first final and um, played the next week. Was too sore, and then they, they basically I couldn't play the grand final, which was shattering. But um, that was my time. The first first year in all was awesome. Great club, amazing pe- club. People not from South Australia won't remember this, but 
the old uh, parade oval at Norwood, where I covered plenty of games when I was writing about the SNFL, people won't believe it, but down one wing was a brick wall. Yes, yep. Leslie Martin, I tried to push him through that wall as hard as I could <laughs> when he was trying to take a mark, and we proceeded to try and belt the hell out of each other because we didn't like each other much. Port and Nord was a bit like Carlton and Collingwood. Um, and Port and Nord were the two clubs that were supposed to go into the uh, into the AFL. If anyone gets a chance to see that documentary of how uh, the Crows got into the SNF, into the AFL, well, it was supposed to be. It was a handshake. There was an agreement based in place between Port and Nord that at the right time, both those clubs will go into the AFL. But then um, all these uh, all these backroom deals got done, and all of a sudden, Wally Miller was left in the dark, and um, the Crows were formed. So. Um, I, I, that was that was a really interesting time because I'd already gone to Collingwood, but um, there was a retention scheme where players were paid extra money by the league not to go to Victoria because they knew the Crows were coming in, so they wanted to protect their their, their up and comers. And I, I remember Gary McIntosh was getting paid huge amounts of money just to keep playing for Nord. I had a memory that it was really Port versus a combination of Glenelg and Norwood. Is that not right? Didn't, didn't uh, people I, believe I, the Crows were going to be born out of really Glenelg and, and Norwood and no one else? Yeah, I, well, it depends who you talk to. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it, it depends, yeah. But it's interesting, a lot of the supporters now that you see at the Crows, well, yeah, I'm fortunate Jake's back there at the moment, um, there's so many of those supporters are old, my old Nord sort of supporting mates and all that. They're all sort of very still. But if you go to Central District, they still hate still hate the crows as much as they hated Nord. So yeah, it's a lot, there's a lot more sort of eastern suburbs, Nord, and true some of the Glenelg crew and that. You went number thirty four in the AFL draft. Is that right? I don't know. Yeah, you I, did. I, I didn't even. Mate, I honestly did not even know the draft. I got a was that the first ever and, draft? Yeah, first ever draft. Martin Leslie went number one, I think. Um, you I went thirty four. I can tell you that. Well, that's all right. That was not a bad number. I um. I went to Fitzroy had a meeting with me in, in, in at the Hilton Hotel in, in Adelaide, and I didn't sort of like that much. And I thought she was they're going to draft me because of the first draft. In those days, you could stay; you didn't have to go straight away. You could stay up till three years. If you stayed beyond that, you had to go back in the draft if you wanted to to go and play AFL or VFL then. Um, and I got a phone call on the day that I wasn't even actually listening to it. I, I swear to Christ, he was not listening to the draft because I, I don't think it was even on anything in Adelaide. I got a phone call from um, Graham Allen saying, oh, hi, it's Graham Allen here. And I said, who are you? And he said, oh, I work for the Collingwood <laughs> Footy Club. And I said, right. He said, oh, we, we, we've, we've drafted you. I've gone, well, I, haven't even, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Compare <laughs> that now with when years. your boys went in the draft. It was live on TV. Yeah, I know. For the next two years, Gubby, Alan McAllister and Lee Matthews would come over on a – it happened to be a, a regular um, period of time every year. And I thought, geez, it's nice they're coming over to see me and want to try and get me to come over because I said, look, I'm not going to come the first year. Um, Mickey Taylor – Neville Roberts, Neil Barm, Wally Miller had all said to me, hey, well done getting drafted, but we'll tell you, we've, we've been there, we know how hard it is over there, trust us, we don't want you to stay here, but you've got to go at the right time if you want to make it and go okay over there. I said, okay. I had a couple of groin issues, I had to have some operations for a couple of years, 
And they always said to me, they'd tell me, and then I remember Mick Taylor was going back to be assistant coach. He said, right, let's go back together. And that's when I went back over there when I was uh, into my, had finished my two years out of my three years. Um, and they said, let's go. But up until then, um, Gubby and the guys had come over. And I thought, these are nice coming over to see me. But little did I know, I found out one night, I, I had a meeting with them at dinner. I said, let's have a quick dinner. They paid for dinner, of course, and I thought, this is good. I said, listen, boys, I've got to go. I've got to, I've got to go and uh, have a meeting. And anyway, all I wanted to do was go out and meet the boys at this nightclub. So I turn up at the nightclub, and I'm there, and I look across the bar, and all three of them <laughs> across the bar at the same nightclub, we started laughing because every trip they'd come over to Adelaide, they were basically happened to be a weekend when the Pies weren't playing or there's a buy or something, so they'd come over, have a meeting with me, and then go and have a few beers and get out um, by themselves, which is a bit of fun. So um, they ended up being – Gubby's been a great, great mate of mine, and, and Lee obviously was pretty important for my life. Some things never change, nightclubs and uh, Craig <laughs> Kelly. Now, um, what was Victoria Park like when you – so how old were you when you got there? 22. Okay, 22 so you know, my, dangerous age. Yeah, oh, scarily dangerous in considering – Oh, but I bought it – my, my first um, – stint. Well, not first stint. When I first came over, I'd been uh, seeing this girl for a long while, and um, she came over with me. And um, so the first year was pretty tame and sensible, but then we split up. And I probably uh, I'd met Darren Mullane and uh, Dennis Banks and Gavin Krasiska and Peter Dacos. So it was always going to end in tears with with uh, those lunatics. So um, bit of I, a I precursor to the Rat Pack, really. Yeah, it was. It was. We had a fair crack at, uh, <laughs> at, at 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 playing hard and working hard. That was for sure. It was. Uh, it was a good crew, though. We bought. I bought a house just near the footy club. Um, it was actually. Uh, it was Ron um, Ron Richards' uh, so old. So bought old a home. house at twenty two. Yeah, it was twenty two nineteen ninety. Leading into the uh, sorry end of eighty nine. Interest rates were around about 7%. Literally bought the house six months later, they were 19%. And um, I was you know, I was just struggling to keep uh, keep the bills and make sure I could pay because... Well, you can blame you know, your late Paul Keating for that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I had to pull my head in and I bought myself a really flash car and all the stupid things you do when you first you know, get some, a decent check. And um, But no, the first... First turning up, my first couple of times, I'd actually met the guys a couple of times. Bryce, had come, they'd come over, train with us, even though I knew I wasn't going to go that year. So I had two years of that. They said, "When are you going to come over?" The, the, the real thing that kicked me into coming over the year I did was they said, "Listen, come over next year. If you agree to do that, you can come on the end of season um, and play for us overseas." So my first game for Collingwood was. The Foster's World Series of football. If you remember those games, we would fly to um, America, and then a couple of teams would fly to uh, it's the UK. You know the great fight they had with uh, Hawthorne and yeah, all I, I heard Robert stuff. Walls talk about it the other day, and how he was yeah. I mean, Carlton were premiers, and he didn't want to go there at all, and they ended up getting yeah. into a massive brawl. Exactly, and we well we went to in those couple of years we flew to July, we flew to Miami, um, so my first time to meet and play with the team was I got on a plane um, and met them all on the plane flying to Miami. They said, who the hell is this bloke? Um, <laughs> Damien Munker, a local boy who, you know, obviously come through from Warburton. He got kicked off the team for me. So I wasn't very popular. 
Um, I remember getting to the airport and a young Eddie Maguire was first first interview he ever did in Melbourne was with Eddie at the airport and I got on a plane, went to Miami, played at the Orange Bowl with uh, the boys, played on uh, I think it was Dwayne Russell and we had um, it was fourteen aside. Then we flew from that was a really solid couple of nights there and we flew straight to um, Toronto and we played Hawthorne had flown in from London. And uh, the night before the game, I got told I was playing on Derby by um, Lee. And everyone sort of shook their head and said, oh, dear, this is going to be in, in tears for me. Um, Shorey came up to me and said, you got to do something really early to show us that you are serious about playing for this club. Um, so I tried to hit Term as hard as I could in the back of the head in the first <laughs> few minutes of the game. And he, he went down on both haunches and, 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 and had to go off. Um, and and that was the uh, that was my first introduction to Collingwood, which um, the teammates were happy with. The trouble was when Dermy looked like he was going to come back on, I got very scared, so I made sure I went sat on the bench. Suddenly pulled a hamstring. Um, yeah, I did. I actually rolled my ankle, but I'm going to sit on the bench now. The 1990 Premiership year was obviously huge. What, what, the Collie Wobble issue, uh, as a non-Collingwood person, was that real or was that something the media inflated? Well, it wasn't real for me. I mean, I, I, I didn't understand, you know, I, I sort of knew a bit about Collingwood, but I wasn't like this, or oh, it does Maguire's head in. When I, I just, made it, I, I don't really barrack for them. I just, I love the club, but I wasn't like, you know, how Collingwood supporters and you, you and your mob, and you're so passionate about it, but I just played footy. So when you rock up over there and you all of a sudden, we're playing Carlton and everything goes, I go, what's happened this week? The joint went nuts and everyone's going, we're playing Carlton. I said, so? I said, oh, we hate Carlton. I said, so you sort of have to learn really quickly. You've got to hate Carlton. And okay, that's that one. But I mean, to be honest, the teams that I hated the most were more those teams that we played against and were going head-to-head with over that time, which was Carlton, Hawthorne and probably Essendon, the three key sort of big games we ever played. But, Everyone spoke about these collie wobbles, and I thought, mm. what, what are you talking about? And so I think that I think that was one of the things, mate, when they bought Scott Russell, Tony Francis, myself, Michael Christian, um, Stasevich. There was quite a group of us that were just going, we don't know what you're talking about, let's just get on with it. Yeah, it's funny, thing. isn't so, it? Because unless you grow up and you're immersed in the tribal rivalries, you don't know about them. I mean, we all, nah. we, we know that everyone hates Port Adelaide and uh, if you grew yep. up in South Australia, you know, Sturt and Nord didn't particularly like each other and no one liked Glenelg and Central Districts were always hopeless and so were Woodville. But uh, until you actually get immersed in it, you go to Melbourne and you think, oh, well, you know, the the, the VFL as it was then, it's a great competition, but you don't know about all that stuff. We, we, growing up in Adelaide, you you watched the replays, but you didn't read much about AFL at all, VFL, did you? No, and I, I think it was there was no coincidence that Gubby, in pulling the list together, um, really focused on some of those key roles to be filled from interstate. And Lee, um, and remember, Lee, when he turned up to the joint, um, there was that whole Hollywood sort of, you know, there's a lot had gone on with the club beforehand and there's the debt and McAllister and Gubby and Lee really played that role of pull your head in, you haven't done anything for a while, well, now let's get let's get organised. And, and then with Banks and Mullane and Shorey, um, you know, being so hard and so driven, um, it, it sort of was, in its purest form, it's probably one of the... Uh, Gubby is regarded, I still believe, as one of the great list managers, not only so much by looking at 
necessarily raw talent, but who to bring together as the characters and the culture of the joint. And um, he's, he's, there's no coincidence that Lee's success has been largely um, also associated and partnered with, with Graham. What was that 1990 final series like? I'm, I remember being at the grand final. It was the year the MCG, they were renovating that southern at standard, demolishing it. The roof was off. Yep. And grand final day was very, very hot. But who did you awesome. beat in the prelim final to get to the grand final? Well, that was a draw. Remember, we played at oh, Waverley. Oh, the Eagles so we, at Waverley. Yeah, so we, we, um, we always struggled against Hawthorne that whole year. Um, and it was just, you know, with a bit of luck that we weren't, Playing against them, and then we played Eagles. We'd had a, we'd gone over to Perth and almost beaten them, and then that's where Tony Francis had kicked. Uh, I've forgotten who it was, and he got six weeks of that. And um, so there was this Eagles thing starting to build, um, and they matched up pretty well against us. But we we were very, I had gla- I had really bad tonsils. I was getting massive injections every. Uh, week just to keep tonsillitis away from blowing up and getting through the final. So I, I was feeling pretty average in that first final against the Eagles, and we were really nervous and we were just all over the joint. We're, you know, we're very lucky not to have been kicked out then. Um, and obviously with the draw, and then once that came back, that almost took the pressure off us all. And we said, like, let's just go for it, and we smashed them. Um, the fact is, they had to turn around and come back, you know, fly all the way back and. Uh, come back again that next, very next weekend and then come back again. So the, the fixture wasn't probably fair. Well, no, it definitely wasn't fair for West Coast over that, that first finals. But And then we were always going to play Essendon again, who had had some amazing games with all year, like and massive crowds. Um, and it was sort of even Stevens, basically, through the two games we played them during the year. And But there was always this, once we got to the prelim um, and we were going to play them, and they'd had the week off. We just knew it was just this thing at the G. We once we got the G, we just thought there's no way we're going to lose this, um, and we smashed them. And then we we're in pretty good shape. I mean, it was a pretty average grand final price. Let's face it. When you look at it nowadays, it's pretty ordinary game. Well, the highlight was the brawl at quarter time, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a solid brawl. That was fun. that was a good brawl involved uh, Terry Danaher. What was your role in well, that? Danaher, no, no. Well, Danaher was late. So um, Spawn, I remember the siren goes. Spawn. I turn around for some reason and just as Spawn throws a punch and smashes Banksy, which is pretty stupid because Banksy could go. Um, and so I, I remember going as hard as I could and running about 30 metres and I was just going to kill Spawn. And I swung and I missed him by an inch. And then all, and then Banksy and I'm into him and then all of a sudden there's a great photo in my office because Longy, we do a lot with Michael Long and, and then, you know, got to know Vanners and those guys pretty well afterwards. And they're all jumping on kick it, Van Hard Long. They're all on top of me, building an absolute rubbish out of me. Um, and then all hell broke loose. So it was sort of Banksy getting the first swing and then all hell breaks loose. And remember, Gubby get <laughs> Graham hits, hits one of their runners and then Eddie Hillgrove hits one of their, their, their trainers and then Danaher runs in and, King hits Brownie from behind. So it was probably the best brawl since Windy Hill, wasn't it? Oh, it was a great blue, and he was he was knocked out for at least a minute. And like, good luck. No chance he comes back on. No chance he ever comes back. Starsevich got knocked out as well. Um, Both those two guys wouldn't be playing. None of their guys got knocked out. So 
we would have been two men down from quarter time in the modern game. Yes. Because of concussion. We come in at quarter time, and I remember Lee running up to me, and he grabbed me, and he said to me, I, I said after the game, I said, when you grabbed me and then you just turned away from it, what was wrong? He said, I looked at your eyes and he said, I thought you were going to hit me. <laughs> and he, and he, you know what he was great at though? He said, I'll never forget it. So the whole group never forgets his quarter time speech of making sure and telling us any of you go after them and try and bash them or smash them, you will be sitting on the pine. You will not go back on. Um, and he just reset the whole group to focus on the ball. And you look at that second quarter, mate. Um, that was all about us focusing on the ball, and they started to come after us again, and it turned the game. And and Lee, you know, he that was amazing. Not that I remember exactly, but I always remember somehow he got us to focus on the ball. Um, and Brownie, and like I said, Brownie and Stars get to come back on, and away we, you know, it was. I, don't, I didn't feel like we were ever going to lose that after a quarter time. That's very clever coaching, really, really yeah. clever coaching. How were you treated by the media? during your playing career? Because obviously, clearly, when you finished playing, we're going to talk about your super successful business career in a second, but how were you treated generally by the media? Me personally? Yeah. I mean, there was the pinching scandal, clearly, but... Oh, that was late. That was not, not, well, not, I, had a really, I had a really good job in the fact that I worked out pretty quickly that when I came over, obviously still working, I said to Graham, I said, I don't want to work for... Um, Wayne Richardson paper sales, which they wanted me to do. And I said, mate, I'm not interested in driving out to Thomastown every day and selling paper bags. Give, give me a spell. And I said, I want to work in the footy club. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to do marketing and selling in the footy club. And that's what um, my mum had a business on, on the side from the farm. And I, was, I had a bit of sort of entrepreneurial spirit. And I, because I said, I, I, I see some opportunities here to run some events. I want to do some of this stuff. And I could have asked for anything at that stage and they probably would have given me, let me do anything. I had no real skills. So I sat in the sales team just selling boxes, sponsorships. And a lot of the guys I sold sponsorships to um, now have become long-term friends who, um, you know, the guys who are still putting money in the Monarchy Orchard through to, you know, guys that have been involved in insurance games and uh, Gary Seymour. I mean, it's amazing how over that journey the club and the people in that club and the people I ended up talking to and being, I'm not saying I was smart or anything, but I knew that if I immersed myself in a connection of the club and did the right thing by those people and made money for the club, it would put me in a position somewhere where there'd be opportunities in the workplace later on in life. Um, always get a job and, in sales. People need the well, money. Yeah, and but it was also just how you treated people and some of the stuff I learned. And did I just realised really quickly that the big clubs are so well connected um, in this town and, and obviously around the country. And so I often got opportunities um, to do a lot of media stuff. Like Eddie would ring me every Monday morning, mate. Every Monday morning about 10 o'clock, we'd see him at desk and he'd go, he'd go like, Ned, Ned, what happened on the weekend? I said, well, right, we went out, we did that. And what else you heard? Uh, and all of a sudden, he'd be pegging to, he'd have four or five of these phone calls every Monday. He'd peg a story together, uh, never tipped in. So, and I never gave him like, oh, I gave him some sort of just, it was like a general chat with a mate because we'd often be out together till five in the morning, but then he, or we'd have some good times together. But the other weekends, I'd be out and he said, what's happening there? Is who's still sore? I said, oh, pants are still a bit sore. Oh, okay. But then he'd do it in a way and then do an exclusive story that would not, 
uh, really offend anyone. Um, but everyone kept saying, how's he get all these stories? And he didn't realise he'd have four conversations with Pants and me and perhaps Banksy, and all of a sudden um, he'd do the same with every other club, and that's why he broke so many stories. So Clever. I had a really good relationship with a lot of media because if they needed someone to do something quickly, I was at the club and I'd say, I'd do it. And the guys used to get <laughs> – I, I used to get a few deals myself where perhaps the person who rang might have asked for Peter Dacos, and I'd say, I'll ring you back, I'll see if he's available. And I'd, I'd, I'd ring them back about 10 minutes. I'd say, oh, look, he can't do it, but I'm available if you want to use me. I'll, 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 I'll do something. So they, Dake set me up once and got one of his mates to pretend that he was looking for someone to sponsor, um, put some some suits on someone. And he said, I really like Dake. And I said, let me, I'll ring him and come back to you. But I, I came back and said, no, nah, he's not available, but I am. And then Dake barrels me at training and says, <laughs> see, what happened there? I said, how do you know about that? He said, oh, that was my mate. He yeah, he loved the dollar. Loved the dollar, Dake. <laughs> Whose yeah. idea was ESP? Uh, actually, the name came about by Graham Wright. Um, Woody and I, Rob Woodhouse and I, Woody was an Olympic swimmer, used to live opposite me in Charles Street in Abbotsford. And we got to know each other through Nicole um, Livingston, uh, Stevenson now. And yep. um, we, once she's still one of our great, we looked after her and she worked for us for a number of years. Um, and just one of the great girls. And um, Woody and I were doing a lunch for Ian Carson. Um, uh, an annual lunch and leading into the Atlanta Olympics and he just started his management company and I'd sort of started working. Remember Ricky Nixon had Club 10, AFL um, wanted someone to compete against that. Um, thanks to Graham Allen, Jeff Brown, uh, Grant Burgess and Ross Oakley, somehow Gubby convinced them I could do the job um, and they gave me a contract, which Brownie wrote the contract on behalf of the AFL um, and then rang me and said, look, just Ask for this and this and this to be changed and we'll change it. Okay. Why? He said, because that'll protect you from this and this. I said, oh, thanks. <laughs> so, Good advice. Mate, you, oh, great advice. And if you did that now, there's no way I'd get a chance. I'm, I'm still playing footy and now I'm supposed to be running their player program. Um, like Gabby was a genius and great mates with Brownie and, and, um, some reason, I mean, I, I must admit, I was always going to do the right thing, um, and I knew I'd work hard. And that I was starting that. Woody was finishing um, with Australia Post, starting his management company with Olympic athletes, and IMG were the only real show in town. And he had convinced the awesome foursome, had signed Michael Clifford, Shane Kelly, and was in the process of convincing Susie O'Neill, the awesome foursome, to leave IMG and come with us, come with him. Um, which is amazing considering one man show. Um, so he sort of lined those up. Then I said, well, why don't we get together and we do it together? Um, and he said, makes sense. I had AFL, which is making no money in that stage, but the Olympic athletes still were. So he basically started the company. We started the company. Graham Wright came up with the idea to dinner, one late dinner one night. We were scribbling on a tabletop, the three of us, and, he was working for me at that stage with some memorabilia opportunities away we went. But um, that led nicely into 96. Susie goes, well, awesome force and go, well, he basically, Olympic business funds our business for the first five years because the AFL thing was just a few events, pro squad, but no real player management because we hadn't, I hadn't really got into that at that stage. So that's how it all sort of started. Even convinced the awesome foursome to sing a song about canned fruit. That's pretty good. Yeah. Mate, that was still, and that's, 
you know, it's potentially going to be there's, there's an opportunity that's popping its head up in that now again. Um, I mean, that's one of Susie and the awesome foursome and Mike and all those guys have been, you know, that the, the, that was one of the longest um, sponsorship of a team or individuals um, for years and years. Uh, only, only until recently, I think Geelong and some of those partnerships with Ford and that have been longer. But um, Susie O'Neill is still one of our athletes and just, you know, one of the great uh, ambassadors of sport and people. So it's, there's been great relationships, mate. So In the AFL, who was the, the best player to manage, the person who worked hardest at it, realised that you were going to help them uh, secure their future rather than the worst? Because I, I don't think we need to nail people for being the worst, but who was the best? No, that's a good question. I mean, also the pro squad sort of was the marketing side. That when we started really getting into aligning ourselves, I put uh, Shane Cassie, one of the managers, still works for us, and we I started managing the contract as well, and then we started to put some people around, around us, Tony Box in our business, he's still there. Um, the guys that are still my you know longest friends, and you know, I, I, there was the guys I did the footy contracts with towards the end of the career. So Gary, Gary left Ricky and came to me when we were sort of like not really going in AFL. We'd had pro squad, and then club ten and pro squad had sort of whittled out because Ricky had conceded that we the new CBA meant that the, the players weren't getting abused anymore. But he was still doing Ablett, and he still had club ten. And, and Gary said, I don't want to be with a bunch. Um, and he agreed to come to me with, remember Optus Vision were going in head to head against Foxtel. So yeah. there's a great opportunity with Dave Barham with Gary. So Gary, um, was just great. And we had a great relationship and still do. Um, Bucks is probably the player that was the youngest player part of the team. And I started managing with Jeff Motley. And then basically Jeff gave him to me to manage. Um, and I'd like to, you know, we're just still great mates and it's bizarre sort of coaching my son now and the younger son. So it's, um, those relationships and then you go through Steve Silvani. Mate, I would like to think that there's only been a couple of guys that I've had that I, I, I did, we didn't want to manage and that we didn't have a great relationship. You know, Spider Ever and I, I didn't see eye to eye with him and, um, and, and we parted part of ways I mean I don't dislike him but there's no point in having someone who you're going to look after who doesn't respect a, a hard conversation um, and both parties then agree to what we're going to do going forward if you say something you keep telling them something and they want to do the opposite then what's the point and I think that's we've been pretty lucky we've had some great um, guys and Olympians that have become long term friends you looked after Gary Lyon and you used to come and harass me and try and get me to pay yep. Gary more money well, he was still there. He, that, he was already there before we, we started looking after him, wasn't he? Yes. Yep. And Gary obviously has uh, carved out a, a brilliant media career for himself. Oh, mate, like I said to you before, Gary Lyon is just one of the the great uh, great parts of our lives and our, mm. our, our business. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he's worked hard and he's, um, you know, there's been a lot written about him and, we look after Billy, um, and uh, it's it's it's. I'm great friends with both guys, and um, we've got you know James Brayshaw is a great mate. So yes. Gaz, so without Gaz coming across from Ricky, I'm not sure the AFL side of my business, at that our business at that stage kicks on like it did. We then Shane Crawford came across, um, and you know it was great 
great guy still is. And um, so I owe I, 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 I a lot to Gaz, and then um, he's been he's been very successful. The uh, the business was sold. You sold it to English Interest, as I said at the beginning of the show. Is that right? Sports World. Yeah, so Sports World came at the end of the Olympics, uh, during the Olympics, and Sports World was sort of founded out of a guy out of Melbourne um, and then run by a guy from uh, an interesting name, uh, same name as Jeff Brown, not yep. the Jeff Brown, the Channel 9 Jeff Brown, another one. Um, they went and floated on the London stock market. They had search for a supermodel. They had a lot of TV show stuff that they were doing, which complemented us. Um, it was actually the right thing for us. They owned... They bought a company called Boyer Sports Media, which owned all their signage rights for the MCG. Um, at that stage, Sydney Cricket Ground, um, they did deals with other stadiums. So it was a signage business in sport. Um, and the Boyer family um, had sold that to them. So it sort of complemented us and it made us a really serious player in Australia and gave us global connections. And we also had uh, some stuff happening in London, which worked out well. Uh, they they just they got hit with the dot com uh, when the that that that, uh, that global Collapse. meltdown happened. Uh, that overgeared themselves and um, and basically went into receivership. We bought the business back. Unfortunately, we couldn't and couldn't afford to buy the stadium business. And that was Harold Mitchell bought that, um, turned that into Stadium Media, and then has sold that to Dentsu and MKTG for a lot of money. So um, it's it's a it's a really good. Well, Interestingly, now we'll come back into that world through uh, Barclay Netafold and QMS Media, which owns outdoor media signs all the way down towards um, Torino. You'll see their sign, Bryce, um, on the outdoor media space, but also they own media rights with stadiums. And uh, we're doing that now again, which is a really important with the digital world that we're in, the digital signs. It's a really important play for us. But buying that business back, and it was stressful. Um, it wasn't much fun, but we, we honoured and made sure everyone was found and uh, made good um, any people that were involved with us. And uh, we had a very good leader at that stage, a guy called John Andrews, who was um, our chairman, who gave us some great advice and helped us through a difficult time as a group of shareholders. You must be so excited. And I, I imagine you never would have thought that this was potentially a possibility. You could see next year playing for Collingwood uh, a Dacos, a Brown and a Kelly. How amazing is that? Well, it is bizarre. Um, well, you've also got a Moore. Yes, of course. So you've got a Moore, Dacos. Thank God Dacos for Father Son. Down. Yeah, another Dacos coming too as well. Um, it, it, uh, I've got three boys and, um, you know, it would have been nice. What The middle one played some games, uh, played and trained with the VFL for Collingwood for a while, but um, he wasn't uh, – that wasn't quite his go, but um, – the other two boys, the youngest one, uh, the oldest one, obviously the crows, and yeah, Will, Will there, Will's loving it. Man, he's really upset, obviously, that he hurt his elbow, but he's, he's half a chance to have that right next this week and next week. So yeah, he and and the funny thing is, they get on the Brown boys and the Dacos boys, and and Will and 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 Darcy's been great help to to Will. So were you watching? The, were you watching the night when uh, Josh kicked that banana goal to put Collingwood yeah. in front? <laughs> Did that remember being back uh, to memories? Of just, yeah, and he's really found his niche on the wing there. He's, he's, he's looking looking really dangerous. The I'm not sure what is the most numbers of father sons in any club in the modern era, but have to be close at the moment. Um, being up there, how very much close. How much fun was it coaching the Mansfield Eagles? Mate, uh, you know how much I enjoyed that. It's I'm a rural 
you know, from a background, obviously, from the farm, I, I don't enjoy necessarily being in Melbourne too much um, and all the rubbish that goes on down here. So for me to get to Mansfield and find a property up there in 2000 was really important. And my wife luckily agreed to buy the property and I became really close with a lot of locals, like the, the Stoney family, Chris Stoney. And, and then when they were looking for a coach, um, Menti had been up there, Trent and Cam Hotton, who obviously played a bit of footy we were training at Collingwood and we managed him um, and, I, and I just made it it was probably the wrong thing to do from a family point of view and just the amount of work I was doing at work and then driving up and down And but honestly the first the three years up there mate was so good and winning a flag um, there's a great photo of Gary uh, came to the grand final because it was against Kyabram the grand final and uh, there's a lot of good mates from work and uh, the kids are all there. I've got some wonderful photos that uh, of the team, and um, it was it was very special. It still is special when you go back there, and people um, are very complimentary of uh, when you make an effort in a country town, pricey, and you do the right thing. Um, it's amazing how good people and how they look after you, and in turn, you look after them. It's something that uh, I, I miss dearly about being in the city. Great, Kelly. It's been a great pleasure to chat and catch up with you. Thanks a lot. Pricey, thanks, mate. You've been a great friend. A success in sport and business. It's a common theme with other media guests who've opened up in On the Record.